morning, church. Before we read God's word, let us pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Please help us prepare our hearts and minds to receive your truth so that we can act in obedience to glorify your name. Amen. Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, who you, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of the Lord. Well, a very good morning to all of you. The Lord be with you. And we thank God that we are able to resume uh, in-person meeting. And it has been an uncertain time for all of us. But we remain encouraged that so many of you have, uh, are able to come this morning. Now, as the psalmist says, God indeed is our refuge. He is our stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know his name trust in him. For our God, he will never forsake those who seek him. And so let us keep 
trusting in the Lord, for He is always faithful. He will never abandon us. And so with grateful hearts and undivided attention, we come this morning to worship, the, worship God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in His great mercy, God has given us new birth, new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Now these words are the Apostle Peter's in his first letter to the early Christians. And these words describe the new birth of believers, the moment we are converted, when we are given a living hope, a real hope for the future of life in the new heaven and the new earth. And this hope is real because the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead is real. And the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus means that our sins are forgiven and we are reconciled to God. And we are therefore saved from the condemnation that we deserve and we now receive the inheritance of eternal life in the world to come. And so every conversion, every Christian conversion is a great testimony to the goodness and kindness of God. For it is God who saves us as we have no natural ability to believe because of our sins. And that is why it is always to God's glory to hear of someone's conversion story the story of how God saves people in spite of themselves. And one of the best uh, conversion stories I have heard recently is the story of Rosaria Butterfield. And some of you may have heard her story too. Now, some 20 years ago, Rosaria was a professor of English at an American university. And she described herself then as a heathen, a feminist, a leftist, and a lesbian in relationship. And she disliked, maybe even hated, Christians and their God, Jesus. And she would campaign through her writings against the right-wing Christians because she cared much about morality, she cared much about justice and compassion, albeit in her own way. And ironically, in one of her writings, she got to befriend a Presbyterian minister. And this pastor modeled the love of Jesus to her. This pastor accepted Rosaria for who she was. And they would discuss issues of politics, issues of sexuality, and of course, the Bible. And after two years of friendship, and of reading the Bible, the Lord opened Rosaria's eyes and she was convicted of her sins, she repented, and she had been following Jesus ever since. And you can read Rosaria's autobiography in her book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Now, Rosaria described her conversion as a train wreck because she least expected to be a Christian. 
And in her own thinking power, in her own wisdom, she would never have believed the gospel. But God opened her mind to the truths about Jesus. And God touched her heart to fear God. And she believed. You see, what God did to Rosaria, He also does to everyone who believes. Now, we do not seek after God to choose God. It is God who seeks us and chooses us for salvation. Now, this may sound strange to you, but it is true. And it is the doctrine of election. But you may ask, is this doctrine biblical? So this is where we are going to look at the conversion of Saul as we continue our study of the book of Acts. Now, Saul's conversion is the most dramatic, most remarkable conversion story in the New Testament and probably in church history as well. And in Saul's story, we will learn that it is God who, in his sovereign free will and grace, chooses whom he wants to choose. And God saves those whom he wants to save. And this is to the glory of his name. And so if you have your Bible with you, please turn to Acts chapter 9, and we will look at the first 19 verses. Now, verses 1 and 2 read, um, Meanwhile, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in uh, Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, <coughs> he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now Luke continues the story about Saul after the brief interruption in chapter 8. And you will remember that we were first introduced to Saul at the end of chapter 7 when Stephen was killed. And those hurling stones at Stephen had laid their coats at the feet of Saul. And Saul not only gave approval to the killing of Stephen, he also initiated a city-wide persecution of Christians in Jerusalem. And he made house-to-house -house search for Christians and would drag them off to prison. And this caused many Christians to flee Jerusalem, one of whom was Philip, who fled to Samaria. And Luke interrupted the story of Saul to tell us about the ministry of Philip in chapter 8. And now in chapter 9, Luke returns to the story of Saul. And Saul is still full of hatred, full of hostility towards Christians. And he is intent on destroying the church. Now today there are politicians, there are academics, there are business leaders and even religious leaders who are hostile to Christianity. And they may not use physical force to destroy the church, but they will use legislation to silence the public voice of Christians. So how should we respond to these people? Well, first I think we should never hate them, but we can thwart their hostile actions through proper means. We can use our vote to ensure that we continue to have the religious freedom to live out the gospel in a way that pleases God. 
But more important than that, we must pray. And we must pray that God, in His sovereign purpose, will change the hearts of those who are hostile towards Christians. And that God will change their hearts and use them as instruments of the gospel, like what God did to Saul. And so Luke tells us that Saul is really passionate about persecuting the Christians. And Saul knows that many Christians have fled from Jerusalem and some have fled to Damascus to seek refuge there. But Saul is determined to get them and to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial and for imprisonment. He therefore obtains a permit from the high priest to arrest any Christian who might go to the synagogues in Damascus. But on his way to Damascus, something happened. Something strange and unusual happened to Saul. Now, according to Saul's own account in a later chapter in Acts, Saul tells us that it is about noontime. And it is about noontime as he nears Damascus, when suddenly a light from heaven flashes around him. He falls to the ground and he hears a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now Saul does not recognize the voice, but he knows that it is a supernatural voice with great authority. Yet it is not a voice of anger, it is not a voice of rebuke. Instead, it is a voice of gentleness as he hears the double mention of his name. And it is a voice with the intention to reach out to him in kindness and understanding. And so Saul asks, Who are you, Lord? And the answer he hears simply blows him away. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. And two truths immediately dawn on Saul. First, it dawns on Saul that Jesus Christ is alive. Now Saul has been hearing Christians claiming that Jesus rose from the dead and is now in heaven. He has rubbished these claims. But now, Having heard the voice of Jesus, he has to eat his words, so to speak. And second, Saul now knows that he has not been just attacking the Christians. He has also been persecuting Jesus. And there is a spiritual union of Jesus and his followers. As Saul himself would later write in the New Testament, believers are the body of Christ. And so to harm the church is to harm Christ. And this connection should make us careful about the way we treat our fellow brothers and sisters. To love our fellow Christians is to love Christ. To despise our fellow Christian is to despise Christ. And we do not want to be in that situation. And so let us treat one another with respect, and let us be patient with one another. And we are not to pay back wrong for wrong, but we are always to strive to do what is good for each other 
and for everyone else. As Jesus himself says, uh, when we do good to the least of our brothers and sisters, we are doing it for him. And this is part of our obedience to Christ. We must do good to the least of our brothers and sisters. And obedience to Jesus is one hallmark of believers. It is the first step of discipleship. When we are converted, we are to obey Jesus and do what Jesus tells us to do. And this is what we see in Saul. Jesus tells Saul to get up and go to Damascus, and there Saul will receive further instructions. But when Saul gets up and opens his, heart, his eyes, he finds that he's unable to see. And so his companions have to lead him into, Jerusalem, uh, into Damascus, and he remains blind for three days in Damascus, and he eats nothing during that time. Saul, who was once arrogant, high and mighty, and full of self-confidence, is now a train wreck. He is humbled and blind, and his life has been turned upside down. And now Saul has not planned this. He has not intended to be a follower of Jesus. And before he set out for Damascus, his mission was to destroy the church. And Saul never expected to meet Jesus. But Jesus chose to meet Saul and turns his world upside down. But Jesus will set uh, Saul's world right again and turn his mission 180 degrees with a new agenda as we shall soon see. But we can see that Saul's conversion is, can only be attributed to the work of God and God's work alone. And we can see that the doctrine of election is evident in Saul's conversion. In his sovereignty, God chooses Saul when he is least expecting it. Now notice that Saul did not resist when Jesus calls him. He simply obeys. And this is important to understand. When God chooses a person, he also prepares that person to obey. Now, in Dam Damascus, there is a disciple named Ananias. And the Lord... Jesus calls to him in a vision and instructs him with these words in verses um, 11 and 12. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus. Uh, uh, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So this is Jesus' words to Ananias. Now, imagine you are Ananias. How would you res respond to the Lord? Well, I think you would protest with fear and with suspicion, wouldn't you? 
because you have heard that this guy, Saul, he is like a ruthless bounty hunter. He has done much harm to the church in Jerusalem. And now he has come to Damascus to do the same. And he wants to destroy Christians. It would be suicidal to go and see him. But Jesus overrules Ananias' protestation and repeats his command to Ananias. Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Jesus has chosen Saul for the gospel ministry, which will involve Saul in much suffering for the sake of Jesus' name. But Saul will be an effective instrument, an effective instrument as he proclaims the gospel to the Gentiles and their rulers, as well as to the Jews. Now we know that an instrument is a tool that makes a task easier and makes that task more efficient. Now, I used to trim the, my garden hedges uh, with a manual shearer, and those of you who have done that will know that it is hard work and really very inefficient. And then I bought a two-stroke hedge trimmer. Boy, that makes the job very easy. And so we can understand that the right instrument makes our work more efficient. In the same way, Saul will be the efficient instrument for the gospel. Saul will be the most suited person to bring the gospel effectively to both Gentile rulers and the Jews. Why? Because he is a trained Pharisee. And he knows all about the Old Testament to argue that Jesus is the Messiah who fulfills all God's promises in the Old Testament. But Saul is also a Roman citizen. And that will give him privileges to access places where he can proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles and their officials. And so next Sunday and then maybe beyond, uh, we will look at how effective Paul will be in his ministry. And so Jesus has chosen Paul to be an instrument of the gospel. And the choosing of Saul as an instrument reminds us that we too are chosen as instruments of the gospel ministry. The New Testament tells us that all Christians are Christ's ambassadors. And we have been chosen to represent Christ. And we have been chosen to proclaim His gospel in wherever or in whatever situation we find ourselves. And so you are at your present job because God has placed you there. And God has placed you there so that you are to use your career to take the gospel to where it may not have been proclaimed. 
or you may find yourself in a particular difficult situation. And instead of complaining, perhaps you must you, you, you ask and say, maybe God is putting me here for the purpose of showing the love of Jesus to others. Now remember, God is sovereign. Nothing happens by chance. So whatever situation you find yourself in, God has a purpose for you there to proclaim Christ and be his ambassador. So God, as the Bible says, God has saved us for a purpose. He has saved us to do good works, which include sharing the gospel. So let us pray that God will fill us with his Holy Spirit to do what he has called us to do. Okay, so we have seen that the Bible teaches us that God chooses us for salvation. So the doctrine of election is biblical and the doctrine of salvation is true. So let us take a pause and answer some questions we may have about this doctrine. And one question we may ask is this. Did Jesus choose Saul when he became too hostile to the Christians? Well, the answer is no. Because the Bible tells us that all believers, including Saul, were chosen before the creation of the world. You see, in his sovereign free will, before time began, God has already selected those whom he would save and bring them to faith in Christ Jesus. Now, if this is hard to grasp, Listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 139, and some of you may know this psalm well. Addressing God, the psalmist says this, Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So God already knows us. And God is not bound by time. He sees right through eternity. He knows the future because he decides the future. And he chose us even before we were born. And so this is just amazing. And you may ask, why did God choose us? Well, the answer is certainly not because we have some inherent good qualities about us. No, we are all sinners and we do not deserve His electing us. Yet God has chosen us because He is gracious and He is compassionate and He is merciful. But someone may protest, isn't it unfair of God to choose some for salvation? and not others. Well, the Bible's response is this. God is not unfair at all. God is like a potter, and the potter has the right to make out of the same lump of clay different pots for different purposes. And so, God is our creator. 
And as our Creator, God has the right to show mercy to whom He wants to show mercy. And He has the right to choose those whom He wants to save. And this may be hard for us to take, but think through it. God has every right to do what He wants. So if that is the case, how then should people who have received mercy respond? Well, I think we should be very thankful, we should be very grateful, and we should be humbled. The fact that we do not deserve His salvation, and yet God chooses us out of His grace should move us to humility. It should move us to joy and praise, and it should move us to faithfulness to God. And it should also lead us to confidence that when God chooses us for salvation, He will finish the good work that He started. And we therefore have the assurance of salvation. And then we might ask, what about those who are not chosen? Can we identify them? Well, no, we cannot identify them. And it is not for us to try to identify who will not be chosen. You see, it is a mystery who else will be chosen. And our approach should be this. If murderous Saul was chosen, we should never rule out any unbeliever. In fact, we should view every person we meet as a possible member of the elect. And we should live in the knowledge and in the certainty that anyone can be saved if he or she will repent and put their trust in Jesus. Well, there is more about election that we can talk about. If you have questions, I'm happy to discuss further after the service or at another mutually convenient time. But let us get back to the story. Now, at Jesus' second command, Ananias goes to meet Saul, and Saul is not surprised as Jesus has earlier prepared him to expect Ananias. And so Ananias welcomes Saul into Christian fellowship, welcomes Saul into the church with these words in verse 17. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, uh, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he can see again. And he then gets up and is baptized. And after taking some food, he regains his strength, ready for the gospel ministry, as we will learn next Sunday. And so we can see that Saul's conversion story is very dramatic, but it is the most beautiful story, isn't it? And it affirms that our own conversion 
is not from ourselves. Our own conversion, our conversion is all God's work to the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. As we finish, we must say something about Ananias. He is the unsung hero in the story. And we don't hear of him again, but we should learn of his generosity and his hospitality. You see, Ananias received Saul with warmth and brotherly love, addressing him as Brother Saul. He recognizes Saul as a brother, as a believer, as a true convert, as a true believer, even though he might have been prejudiced by all the reports about Saul the murderer. But when he saw Saul, he addressed him and welcomed him as Brother Saul. So we must have that heart of generosity to extend to some people that we may have heard about, some bad things that may be heard about them, but we know that they are Christians and when we recognize them as Christians, we must be able to say brother or sister in Christ. So when Saul heard Ananias addressing him as brother, it was music to Saul's Years, And Saul realized that he had been welcomed into the fellowship of the church by the very people he sought to destroy. Ananias did not stop with just a brotherly welcome. He proceeded to meet Saul's spiritual need and so he baptized him. And he took care of his physical needs as well, making sure he was healed of his blindness and then he fed him so that he, Saul, could regain his strength. And so we learn of just small part to learn of this brother, Ananias. Very generous, very hospitable, very Christ-like. So may God raise up many of us to be like Ananias, welcoming believers into our midst as brothers and sisters in Christ and meeting their spiritual needs as well as their physical needs. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for the record of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You chose him to be your instrument of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have greatly benefited from his teachings that your Holy Spirit inspired him to write down for us. We are grateful that you have also chosen us, not because we are deserving, but because of your sovereign will and your sovereign grace. You have chosen us to be Christ's ambassadors. So please fill us with your spirit so that we may be faithful servants of yours and that we will not be afraid to tell people of their desperate need because of their sins and that we are able to share with them the good news of forgiveness and salvation and new life through Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.